begin by looking at Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. We're going to begin over these coming weeks to take different sections and themes of this book. Look at them together as you read through the whole book on your own. But we begin here with this important introduction. I'll read the passage, I'll pray together, and then we will invite the Spirit of God to be our teacher. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is God's word. Let's pray together once more. Heavenly Father, I thank you that every person in this room and those joining us online or outside They matter to you. Thank you that you care about the daily situations that we find ourselves in. Thank you that you have given us wisdom in your word. Thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. Thank you that you've given us community. And ultimately, thank you that you've given us a relationship with you because of the gospel so that we can become wise. God, this morning we confess our need for wisdom. Our relationships, our work, our lives, we need wisdom. And we ask in this season together that you would teach us, train us, guide us, and shape us. And for those who do not yet know you, we pray that today they would understand who Jesus is and what he has done for them. And that today, they would believe. And it's in Jesus' name that we ask these things. And everyone said, amen. I was 24 years old when I received a phone call about starting a new church in Los Angeles. I was newly ordained at the time. I'd been married for just a few years, and I was working at a large established church down in Orange County where my wife and I were praying about what our next steps would be in life and in ministry. Eight months earlier, the pastor, who many of you know, Britt Merrick, the founding pastor of Reality Carpinteria, we had developed a great friendship years prior and he had proposed that maybe together we could partner with his church, Reality Carpinteria, to start this new church in Los Angeles. And now, eight months later, he was calling to ask how I felt about the whole thing and if I was ready to move forward with the decision. And in that moment, I remembered 
the story about young King Solomon, who is universally recognized as one of the wisest men who had ever lived. He was young when he became king of ancient Israel. Some scholars suggest that he was about 20 years old. And how did this young man feel about the great task of leadership? And what choice did he make at the beginning of his rule that would lead him to becoming one of the greatest kings in Israel? He asked God for help. He asked God for wisdom. In the historic account in 1 Kings chapter 3, he says this to God. Now, O Lord my God, you have made me king instead of my father, David. But I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. Now, most of us will never rule a nation, even though a few of you aspire to do just that. <laughs> but we can all relate to how he must have felt. I know I can. So that day on the phone, as I was pondering this venture of faith, moving to LA, starting a new church, I told Britt on the phone, I said, I felt like Solomon on that day. I want to do this, but I don't know how. I literally feel like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And that day, Britt said to me, good. <laughs> because the moment you stop asking for help is the moment you are not ready to move forward. He said to me, stay teachable and keep asking for help. I will never forget those words. I haven't, and I hope that I never will. But on that day, what was he giving me? He wasn't giving me a moral code. He was giving me wisdom. And this was important to remember. Even in the first few years of, of my new job as I was planning a church, a lot of people, seeing how young I was, seeing what I was doing, they would often say, well, I'm going to pray for you for wisdom. And at first, I was offended by that. I was like, what? Do you think I'm a fool? Now that I'm older, I know I can be a fool. <laughs> Do you, friends, know that you can be a fool? Some of you are like, I didn't come to church to be called a fool. Well, welcome to the Bible. <laughs> Do you know that you can be a fool? If so, that is actually wise because Proverbs 12, 15 says, a fool thinks he needs no advice. But a wise man listens to others. So today we begin a journey through the book of Proverbs, and it is all about wisdom. In fact, the Hebrew word for Proverbs means comparisons, because most of us learn best through contrasts or comparisons, contrasting what is wrong with what is right, contrasting what is wise with what is foolish. And most of these, not all, were written by this great King Solomon who began his reign around the year 970. No doubt much of the wisdom he received came from his father, the great King David. 
No doubt much of the wisdom that he learned came from his close advisors. But his ultimate source of wisdom was a relationship with God. This book is written as a collection of wisdom as if it's being passed down from a parent to a child. And so you can imagine that it covers a massive range of topics and can be applied to everyone. All of us, men and women, young and old, single, married, children, parents, employed, unemployed, rich, or poor. Now it is a long book, so what we're going to do over the next two and a half months is look at some of the greatest hits, if you will. Some of the major themes in the book, while you, if you're able, will read through the whole book on your own. But it's important to note that the book is broken up into two major sections. The first section is chapters 1 through 9, which are made up of the discourses. They're the longer speeches about why wisdom matters and how we can get it. The remaining chapters, the remaining section, chapters 10 to 31, is about how we can use this wisdom in all these different areas of life. And that's what makes it so fascinating. In one moment, as you're reading Proverbs, you'll find that it deals with very weighty matters. Like Proverbs 26, 28, for example. A lying tongue hates those it hurts. And a flattering mouth works ruin. That's a weighty proverb. It's all about our words and the way that we're treating one another that if we're lying to someone, we're actually hating them. And to, to flatter someone actually will bring to ruin. So on the one hand, you'll come across proverbs that are very weighty. But on the other hand, you will come across proverbs that are so practical and so realistic that you might even be surprised. You might even laugh. Like Proverbs 25, 16. If you find honey, eat just enough, too much of it, and you will vomit. I'm like, I love Proverbs. I'm here for it. I love this book. Now, when you're reading through Proverbs, you'll often come to the conclusion that it feels very random. Many of the Proverbs, verse after verse, don't always seem connected. One verse is about husband and wives. Another verse is about, you know, how to spend your money. Another is followed by a statement about children. The next verse is about a situation regarding justice. The next verse is about the words that you use. The next verse is about friendships. And so many readers think, wow, this just feels like a miscellaneous grab bag of Proverbs. But I would suggest this. Isn't that exactly how your day goes? What appears to be random in Proverbs is literally how your day goes. You start out and you're like arguing with your spouse or your roommate. And you're like, ah. And then somebody calls you on the phone. Like somebody's broken into our shop. Like, oh no, what am I going to do? How do I deal with this in a situation of justice? And then your children are there and you find yourself like wanting to yell at your children, but you probably shouldn't. And then all of a sudden you check your bank account and it's overdrawn. And now you have a $50 fee and you're like, dang it, I should have been more wise. Welcome to life. And God's given you 31 chapters of wisdom for it. But as you read, and as we go through it together, by way of introduction, there are a few things you need to know. There's a few things you need to know about Proverbs as you read it on your own and as we read it together. Let me give you three things to keep in mind before we dive into this 
initial text. The first thing is this, and I think it's very important. It sets your expectations about this book. Proverbs is about principles, not promises. The book of Proverbs, because it is wisdom literature, is mainly about principles, not promises. You will find in this book many guiding principles that will help you organize your lives and make wise decisions. But the outcome of those decisions is not always absolute and it is not always guaranteed. The Proverbs written here are not ironclad promises that things will always turn out the way that Proverbs describes if you follow the wisdom. Why? Because we live in a broken world. Proverbs presents the ideal, but the reality is that things don't always go that way. I've heard the analogy used of a city being originally built with a plan and intention of where the streets go and where the the plumbing lines run. But then imagine a great earthquake hits that city and everything's like shifted around and messed up and we're in the slow process of rebuilding. Everything is not in its right place. The book of Proverbs is like that original blueprint. We say, yes, in God's good design, this is how things ought to go and we should make decisions in light of that. However, we've experienced the earthquake of sin and everything is not in its right place and it is not as it should be and so things won't always go the way that they ought. Let me give you a few examples because this is important. I hear parents often quote Proverbs 22, 6. It's not on the screen, but it's this. Train a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Now, it would be easy to read this and assume that if I rightly train my child, if I just kill it as a spiritual parent, it is guaranteed that they will never turn from the right path. And many Christians hear this verse and they think it's a promise. And then years later, maybe one of their kids turns away from Christ. Maybe they don't make wise decisions. And then you're like, oh my gosh, did I fail as a parent? Well, see, that verse is a principle. It's not necessarily an ironclad guarantee. See, this verse, like many others, encourages parents to work hard in guiding their children. And so we should, if you are parents. But the Bible also teaches free will. And that children have it. And oftentimes, they may turn away from the way that is right. But following these principles will give them the best shot at choosing the right path. One more example, some Proverbs speak generally that if you work hard and work justly, it will lead to prosperity. Now, generally speaking, following that principle will give you the best shot at earning money, right? It's like I'm training my kids, like, I want money. I'm like, you got to work. Now, is there another way to get money? I'm like, no. (laughs) Bribery maybe, I don't know, but I'm not encouraging it because you pretty much already do it in our house. Anyway, sidebar. (laughs) Generally speaking, yes, but there are caveats. There are other factors like economies. I don't need to say more. There's injustice in the world, thievery, all these other factors. Proverbs is about principles we should follow, but they're not always ironclad promises that the result 
will always go in the way we intend. There are other factors that do not depend on your choice. These principles reveal God's design, how things ought to be, how we ought to arrange our lives, but the results will vary because we live in a broken world. It's a longer point, but it's an important one. The second thing you need to know about Proverbs is this. No single proverb gives you the whole picture. Think of the analogy of a puzzle. Each proverb is a piece of that puzzle. And we need to connect them together to gain the fullest understanding on that topic. And so throughout this series, we will arrange the sermons around these big topics or themes and try to fit the pieces together. Themes of friendship, character, our words, money, decision-making. But the third is this. Proverbs is to be understood in light of the whole Bible. Think of Proverbs like a big chapter in the larger story of the whole Bible. Proverbs finds its fullest and richest meaning when we look at it in light of the Bible's whole storyline about what God originally created, about the problem and reality of sin, and the redemption that he brings in the gospel. And this is what we're going to do over the next few months, but it starts with the introduction. And here we find a very simple framework for what wisdom is, who it's for, and where it's from. And the first point you need to know is this. True wisdom is practical. It's not mainly theoretical. It is very practical. It is a field guide for everyday life decisions. After all, Solomon, who is mentioned, of course, in verse 1, he knew very well that life is complicated. We need wisdom. Wisdom is the skill of navigating through the mess. And so Proverbs open by telling us what wisdom is. The Proverbs of Solomon, verse 1, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. They're mostly the Proverbs of Solomon. This book does not come from some cloistered monk-like people who were separated from life, but leaders, civil servants who had to deal with all sorts of real-life, messy, complicated situations. After all, if you read the history of King Solomon, and if you haven't, I encourage you to do so in the Old Testament, Solomon as a king had many tough decisions to make. And what strikes me about why God chose to put books like Proverbs in the Bible, what strikes me is that we need something more than just the Ten Commandments. We need more than just the moral law of God. Absolutely, we need the commands of God. On top of that, we also need wisdom. Why? Well, think about it. Many of the decisions that you and I have to make, the tough ones, they require more than just knowing the moral absolutes that God has given us in the Ten Commandments. And so what help has God given us? Wisdom. And not just this book, there are several books of wisdom. They're called the wisdom literature section in the Bible. One of the others is the book of Ecclesiastes. It's about Solomon in his later life. Maybe we'll do that one next year. It's fascinating and fun. One of my favorite books. But here we have wisdom. One of my favorite definitions of wisdom comes from Pastor Tim Keller in New York City. He says, 
Wisdom is knowing the right thing to do in the 80% of situations in which moral rules don't provide clear answers. Should I put my child in homeschool or should I put them in public school? Some of you are like, there's a moral law for that. No, there's not. It's wisdom. At what age should I allow my child to watch this or to do that? Wisdom. Which job should I take? There's not a Bible verse. Like, don't play Bible roulette. And you're like, should I work at the restaurant or should I work at the factory? And then you like, you know, throw open the Bible and it's like, put your hand to the plow. And you're like, oh my gosh, I need to work in agriculture. <laughs> what do you need? You need wisdom. And what I love about the words used there in verse 2, wisdom and instruction, is translated from Hebrew. It's, it's literally a skill. It's the same set of words used to describe those in the Old Testament who work with wood and with metal. We need skill. Wisdom is, is about our character. It's about being prudent. It is also about skill and ability. Wisdom is not just about the information you gain. It's also about the type of person that you become. And we need this for the decisions that are not always clear for the decisions that aren't always a matter of what is right and wrong, but what is wise or not. For example, many of the requests I get for, you know, care or counsel or a lot of the prayer requests, many of them, not all, many of them are like wisdom decisions. They're not clear, moral, absolute decisions. So let me give you a funny example. Most people, if they're having trouble at work, they don't come up to me for prayer and say, Pastor, I'm finding my boss really difficult at work, and I just came up for prayer wondering whether or not I should kill them. <laughs> now, rest assured, if they did ask me that question, I am fully prepared to tell them which is the right answer on that. But most people don't ask for that. Otherwise, they'd say, yeah, don't, don't, no, yeah, don't, don't do that. Most people are not asking about what's the clear moral absolute. That's very clear in Scripture. But how do I deal with a frustrating boss? How do I deal with that? How should I communicate with them? Well, that's why we have Proverbs. Try this one, Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Try that in your workplace. Try that with your employees or your employers or your coworkers when they're not treating you the way that you think they should. When they're speaking to you in a way that is wrong, try Proverbs 15.1. You might say, well, what about dating? What about friendship? What about when I find a roommate or my community? What should I be looking for in a person? Try Proverbs 27.17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Meaning that you need people in your life who are going to strengthen you and sharpen you. And though it may not always be comfortable, find people, get people in your life who give you what you need so that you become sharper, so that you actually grow in your character. What about money? You're not going to find a Bible verse that tells you exactly what percent of your income to budget on your rent. Although this is California, so you should probably budget 50% of your income. <laughs> There's no specific recipe for that. But Proverbs does teach the importance of generosity and priority with your finances. As it says in Proverbs eleven twenty four, one who gives freely yet grows all the richer. 
Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. That's a proverb that promotes generosity and exposes greed. See, there are so many situations. What we need, like it says in our text today, verse 2, is understanding and words of insight. That's what we need. Practical insight into everyday situations is laid out for us. That's why we have 31 chapters. It's not less than the law of God, the moral Ten Commandments, but it is more. True wisdom is practical. It's learning how to apply those unshakable truths in this ever-changing world. A world where we are bombarded by information every single day. There's the information you read in the news. There's the information that you are reading in a book or even in your, your Bible and you're in your conversations or when you go on social media, when you're out and about. There's all kinds of information. But wisdom is learning what to do with the information that you have. That's why in the introduction it mentions knowledge and discretion. What do I do with this information? See, some of you, you have knowledge, but you also need wisdom. Some of you say, hey, I've got a message. I know the right thing to say to this person. Okay, great. But when will you say it? And how will you say it? Take timing, for example. Can't we all agree that timing matters? Just ask my wife. I have like the worst timing. It's not just having the right answer, it's knowing when to say it and how to say it. Let me give you an example. And if you're playing church bingo, this verse is on one of your coffee cups. Proverbs 27, verse 14. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning, it will be counted as a curse. <laughs> so some of you are zealous. You're like, it is biblical to bless people. Amen? But some of you are like 3.45 a.m. and you come into your roommate's room or your spouse's room or your children and you're like singing the blessing. Like, and the blessing. And your children. And like everyone in your house is like waking up like REM, deep sleep. You know, just like, what? Is it biblical to bless people? Yes. Should you do that with a loud voice at 3.45 a.m.? No, thank you, sister in Christ. <laughs> It's not wise. It won't be received. It will be counted as a curse. They'll say, leave me alone. Here's why I make the point. There are many people in our culture today who think that the primary problem with humanity is a lack of information. The idea is if we could just get people more information, we will be good and we will do good. To which I respond, how's that working out for us? Remember when the internet, oh, the kids will never know. Remember in the 90s, like America Online, people, remember that noise it would make and dial up? And it was called, what was it called? The information suit. You just dated yourselves. Love it. It was the info. If the world could just have all this information, surely we will progress. How's that going? I like deleted Instagram because I can't even handle it. Like information, pure information does not make us good, does it? What do we do with it? See, let me say this. What makes biblical wisdom, one of the many reasons why biblical wisdom is so unique and so different than the wisdom of the world 
is because biblical wisdom is not just about informing our minds, it's about changing our hearts. Biblical wisdom, you'll find throughout the whole book of Proverbs, Proverbs is about the heart. And so it says in Proverbs 6, 14, he who plots evil with deceit in his heart, he always stirs up conflict. See, this is more than just information or knowledge or facts. It's about desire. It's about will. It's about choices. It's about character. In our culture, as we say often, people say, you need to follow your heart. And if you follow your heart, whatever you discover there, if you just follow that out, it'll be automatically good. That's simply not true. Our hearts need changing. Our hearts need changing. So Proverbs chapter 10, verse 8, the wise in heart accepts commands accepts the commands of God, but a chattering fool comes to ruin. It's about the heart. And this book helps us precisely because, as you will discover, it comes from someone who had to learn it himself. True wisdom, it's practical. It deals with all the messiness of life. But who is it for? That's the second point. Wisdom, true wisdom, is possible. It's possible for people like you and like me. Some of you are thinking, okay, I want to be wise, but man, I'm not educated enough or I'm not old enough. Listen, you don't need to be a king to need or want wisdom. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, or how old you are in life. Wisdom is possible for everyone. Look at Proverbs 1, our text, verses 4 through 6. He goes on in the introduction to say who wisdom is for. For giving prudence to those who are simple. Knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. And let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. I love that at the very beginning, he tells us who the book is for. Which category might we find ourselves in? There's the simple But don't misunderstand, this does not mean lack of formal education. It means those who simply lack experience. The person who needs to grow up. Then there's the young. You're like, man, I'm just kind of starting out in life and I I don't know how to do this. Wisdom is for you. But lest those of you, some of you are like, well, you don't know, Pastor Tim. I've been a lot of places. I've seen a lot of things. I'm good. I'm what you might say a bastion of wisdom. Well, there's a verse for you. The wise add to your learning. And I say this to those of you who've walked with Jesus and been studying your Bibles for decade upon decade, you never stop learning. Do not rest on your laurels. Do not think that simply because, well, I've studied the Bible longer than you've been in ministry. I've studied, that's great. Are you adding to your learning? Because as the saying goes, everyone might grow old, but not everyone grows up. Add to your learning. Add to it. Every kind of person at every stage of life, men and women, single, married, parents, children, wealthy, not, young, old, employed, unemployed, it's all there. You might say, I'm too young. Wisdom is for you. You might say, I'm too old. Wisdom is for you. The dangerous place to be in is to think that you don't need it. If you're like, I don't need this, I'm good. 
I'm doing like a master class right now online. Like, I'm good. Well, that's foolish. Proverbs 29 verse 1 says, A man who does not listen after many strong words are spoken to him will be destroyed all at once and without help. Why? Because they stopped asking for help. They didn't recognize their need for help. Surely destruction will follow. Friends, this book is for all kinds of people, not just smart people. In fact, it is very possible to be incredibly smart and learned and intelligent and be a total idiot. It's true. Some of the smartest people in the world can do some of the worst things. Do you know any? Don't say their name out loud. There's a book that came out about 10 years ago. It's not a Christian book. It's on practical wisdom. And the author, Barry Schwartz, said this quote. I love it. He said, the good news is you don't need to be brilliant to be wise. The bad news is that without wisdom, brilliance isn't enough. Brilliance is likely to get you into as much trouble as anything else. (laughs) Proverbs makes this point so well. You can be very knowledgeable, but without character, without discretion, without making good decisions, you can ruin your life. It's not about how smart you are. It's about making decisions with the wisdom of God. I'll use marriage as an example. You can know and believe in the design and framework of marriage, believe in the fidelity of marriage, know the theological implications of marriage, but how do you live that out on a day-to-day basis? You need wisdom. You need wisdom. Wisdom is for everyone. We all need it. It's available to everyone. In fact, wisdom in this book, you'll see, is characterized as a person oftentimes. We call her Lady Wisdom. And she's pictured as crying out in the streets to everyone, like, lest there be any doubt as to whether or not wisdom was available or possible for you. Proverbs 1, 20 to 23 describes it like this. Wisdom shouts in the streets. She cries out in the public square. She calls to the crowds along the main street, to those gathered in front of the city gate. How long, you simpletons, will you insist on being simple-minded? How long will you mockers relish in mocking? How long will you fools hate knowledge? Come and listen to my counsel. I will share my heart with you and I will make you wise. It's there. It's crying out. To be received. See, born people, wise people are not born. Wise people are made. Nor do you automatically become wise as you grow older. Or so I'm told by my family. <laughs> Wisdom is about the path you continue to take, about the choices you continue to make. It is a disciplined pursuit. And so it says at the end of verse five, add to your learning, underline it. Add to your learning, get guidance, get understanding. Listen, you're not gonna get wise if you just sit on a sofa and read nothing, learn nothing, and seek nothing. 
Wisdom is offered to you, but it must be received. It's learned through this daily effort of inclining your heart to seek wisdom and live in light of it. Those who are willing to do the work of seeking wisdom will learn to live wisely. This season, friends, is an encouragement for you to pursue wisdom through the Word of God, our authority for all life and godliness. Pursue wisdom through the Scriptures. And on top of that, pursue wisdom through wise teachers. Find other people. Do you, do you need wisdom in your relationships? Find someone who's wise. Do you need wisdom in your finances? Find people who are wise in that area. Do you need wisdom in raising your children? Go and find wise people and resources in that area to help you become wise. Because, though it's not on the screen, one of my favorites, Proverbs 13, 20, whoever walks with the wise will become wise. Surround yourself with wise people. I am amazed that at times there are people who ask me, like, Tim, I don't know. I'm, I'm just struggling with wisdom in this area and I'm just not learning anything. I'm like, oh, who are you around? Like, no one. What are you reading? Nothing. What are you doing? Also nothing. Okay, so let's start there. Maybe find some wise people and ask a question. Say, help. Right? Any of us can do that. You don't need a degree to say help. Seek wisdom. It is possible for you. But I would also note, it is irreplaceable. You can't live without it. Your life depends on it. Because the alternative to living wisely is to live foolishly. The fool is a major character in this book, along with the wise. But let's be clear about what it means to be a fool. The fool is not a person who cannot learn. We're not talking about mental ability. The fool is not a person who cannot learn. The fool is a person who will not learn. Who says, no, I don't need that. I don't want that. I'm fine. I've got this. It's not about ability. It's about choice. And so we're shown the benefits of receiving wisdom. Proverbs 4, 6, and 7 says, don't forsake wisdom. And she will protect you. Love her. And she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. I love this. Get wisdom. <laughs> Here's the beginning of wisdom. Get wisdom. You're like, oh my gosh. But notice how it ends. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. Friends, do you hear this warning? Like, it is worth it. Oh, it's going to take some time out of my schedule to find some wise people in the church who can help me. It's worth it. It's going to cost me to, like, join a community group or come on Sunday. It's worth it. It's going to cost me time to read my Bible. Mornings are hard. It's worth it. And we gave you a coffee cup. I mean, come on. <laughs> It's worth it. So I ask you, friends, is wisdom a priority for you? Is wisdom a priority for me? Do you understand how desperately you need wisdom? We're living in a dark world, chaotic times, decisions all around us. Do you know how badly you need wisdom for your friendships, for your marriage, for your singleness, for your children, for your work? You might say, well, I know I need it, but I've just been such a fool. Well, I relate. That's why you need to know this last thing. 
Wisdom is powerful. True wisdom, it's practical. It deals with daily life. It's possible for every single one of us. But what you need to know is true wisdom is powerful. Why? Because true wisdom comes from a relationship with the God who created you. And so Solomon ends this section with verse 7 by saying, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Trusting God is where it all starts. Trusting God is where wisdom starts. Or if I can put it another way, wisdom is about worship. Wisdom is about worship. That might sound strange to you, but let me explain. Worship is about what you value the most. Worship is about what you trust the most. Because whatever is the most important thing in your life, it will govern your life and it will influence your decisions. Everybody in this world worships something. But it is only when you worship God that you will have true wisdom and be kept from ultimate destruction. So when the book of Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it's telling us that God is the source and center of all life and recognizing that and receiving from him is where wisdom begins. But it starts with the word fear. You might have a question about that. But what you need to know is that in the Bible, the fear of the Lord, it's a worship word. The word fear used in this context, it's not about panic or alarm. It's not saying come to church on a Sunday and when we start the song, you're like, oh my goodness, what? Like that's alarm, that's panic. That's not what it's talking about. It's not saying, hey, you should relate to God by being totally scared. It's a worship word that has to do with awe and adoration. Like, wow, God, you created the world. You created me and I'm not you, and you are awesome, and you are so high above me, and I revere you. I, I fear you in that sense. I recognize that you are God, and I am not, and I am in awe, and I am in adoration of you. When you start with that awe and adoration of God, when you realize to fear him is to recognize, like, God, you're my creator, and I'm coming to you, you need to know this. When you do that, you will become wise. But if you refuse to do that, the fool who replaces God with themselves or the wisdom of this world will end in ultimate fear. Oswald Chambers said it best. The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. This is the place to start. Because ultimately, wisdom is not about a principle. Wisdom is about a person. It's giving God the rightful place in your life. But of course, we haven't always done that. And if we're honest this morning, we've all played the fool. We've all been foolish. Maybe some of you brought in, into this room just the weight of what you know now to be just bad decisions. You're like, man, I've been such a fool. Well, there's good news for you this morning. The message of Christianity is that you do not have to earn wisdom. You simply need to receive wisdom. 
God does not demand wisdom from us. He offers wisdom to us. He gives counsel for the confused, strength for the defeated, warnings to the proud, mercy for the broken, guidance for the young, encouragement for the old, courage for the fearful, comfort for the downcast. And it's all available to foolish people like us. Why? We began by saying Solomon was one of the wisest people in the world. Even the famed queen of Sheba, we're told in the historic accounts, traveled near and far to hear his wisdom. But if you follow Solomon's life, even he could not live it all out. But centuries later came another king, the true king of Israel, the perfect king of the world, Jesus Christ. And here's what he said about himself. The queen of the south came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, but behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus is the son of God. He could say this not only because he spoke wisdom, but he lived it perfectly. And he invites us to trust in him to make us wise. And that's why the New Testament says in Colossians 2, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is the beautiful thing, friends. Many people traveled the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, but Jesus traveled from heaven to us. Jesus is the wisdom from God. And yet, do we remember what he did? He took the punishment for our foolishness and sin on the cross so that we could get the reward of the wise. Wisdom is not for successful people. Wisdom is for broken people. Christ is your wisdom. If he is your wisdom, are you listening to him? Are you learning from him? Are you leaning upon him? If you're not yet a Christian this morning, the wisest thing that you could do is to trust in Jesus today as your Savior. And I invite you to do that now. And if you are a Christian, the wisest thing you can do right now is to continue to trust and to respond appropriately in awe and adoration. And that's what we're going to do right now. I'm going to invite you to worship, to pray, to take communion, and to sing. But you've got to realize that you need it in order to ask. And the promise of the Bible is whoever asks, God will give it. So let's do that. Let's be wise and let's worship Jesus. Father, I pray right now, as you know our lives so intimately, Lord, you know that many of us bring with us the burden of foolish choices, foolish paths that we might even be on right now. And in your love, you warn us. In your love, you turn us back to you. And I pray this morning that every person here would receive from you, would come to you and ask for forgiveness, ask for strength, ask for healing, ask for wisdom. I pray that we would not be foolish in staying away from you, but be wise and draw near to you. This is where it all begins. Lead us there, God. And I pray for anyone in here who's not yet received Jesus as Savior. I pray that right now they would make that decision and say, Jesus, save me.
I want to know that I'm forgiven of my sins, saved from the eternity of hell and with you forever in glory. Pray that those men and women right now would simply say, Jesus, save me. And that they would experience your salvation. Holy Spirit, would you move right now? Would you make us wise people as we worship you? In Jesus' name, amen.